This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland. The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the city council. City council meetings are held at 7 p.m. two Mondays per month in council chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on AT&T Uverse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. live. Good evening and welcome to our June 22nd, 2020 meeting of City Council. Councilman Wasbinski, would you please lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Erica, would you please call roll? Honorable Mayor Donker. Here. Councilman Brown Wilhelm. Here. Councilman Arnowski. Here. Councilman Wasbinski. Here. Councilman Hall. Here. All right. Thank you very much. Does anyone have a conflict of interest um, with anything that's on this evening's agenda? No, Madam Mayor. Okay. Seeing none, then we'll move on to um, our consent agenda. All resolutions marked with an asterisk are considered to be routine and will be enacted by one motion. There'll be no separate consideration of these items unless a council member or citizen so requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda is indicated. If there's even a single request, the item will be removed from the consent agenda without further motion and considered in its listed sequence in regular fashion. And we have a motion to approve the consent agenda. So moved. Have a okay. second? Okay, we have a First and a second. So any discussion? Anyone want an item removed from the consent agenda from council? Anyone from the audience want an item removed from the consent agenda? Okay, seeing none then, will you please call the roll, Erica? Yes. Uh, Councilman Brown Wilhelm? Aye. Councilman Arnowski? Aye. Councilman Wasbinski? Aye. Councilman Hall? Aye. Mayor Donker? Aye. Great. That passes. 5-0. Thank you very much. All right. That takes us to our next item on the agenda, which is really, um, which is a recognition for our flood response. And Mr. Kay is going to lead us in that conversation. Thank you, Madam Mayor. This was actually uh, first raised at our last council meeting by Councilman Arnoski, and rightfully so, I, I think, to bring attention to the many volunteers 
and the many forms of help that have been provided to our community, particularly in response to the flood that we experienced uh, coming up on a month ago now, and certainly the community response that has taken place in the interim period. Um, we, we started to think about or trying to put to knit to or pencil to paper and identify all of the individual organizations, groups, and so forth that are worthy and deserving of credit and certainly recognition through this process. But frankly, the, the task became a little overwhelming because we simply have had so many. Uh, as a community, we have stepped forward and the organizations and people and individuals, businesses, and so forth have all stepped forward to help out our fellow residents and community members and to try to put some of them down and miss others would have been a disservice and as such what we brought forward is a resolution that really recognizes the community because I think it's the community that has responded and been able to get us as far as we have to date and will continue to be needed as we move forward so uh, before you there is a proclamation uh, or resolution for that in terms of recognizing those and making it very clear that the community is very appreciative and certainly um, could not have done what we've done to date without them. So with that, uh, we'll, we'll turn it over if you do have any questions or any comments any of you wish to add. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Mr. Kay, any questions? All right. Erica, would you please read the resolution? This resolution authorizes the mayor to issue a proclamation of recognition for the tremendous efforts put forth by frontline workers, individuals, businesses, and organizations providing flood response in our community's time of need. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So move. Second. Okay, we have a first and second. So would anyone in council like to add any to any of the comments that Mr. K met or stated earlier before we read the proclamation? Uh, let me just comment because I, I did raise this last time and I know uh, Mr. K had, I knew it was a, a pretty daunting task. I did ask, um, and contact Amy Meister, who's the executive director of the American Red Cross. And, and I'm just gonna quickly run through a bunch of church groups that she mentioned. Uh, I know that might leave some people out, but the Michigan Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, uh, Jewish Response uh, to Disaster, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Midland Michigan Stake MI Adventist Community Service and Disaster Response Team, uh, Rubicon USA, Samaritan's Purse, Mennonite Disaster Service, Michigan United Methodist Church, Disaster Response, Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. I mean, it was, it was, the list goes on and on. And I know if you all were in, in the community, you saw many more uh, local organizations as well. But it's pretty amazing that people came from really all over the country. Um, and thankfully, I mean, I was kind of watching the uh, COVID numbers too. And it looks like we, well, we did have some blips up. Uh, they did not, for the most part, bring a whole lot of COVID with them into the community as well. So thankful for that as well as their their physical labor. So I won't leave that comment out there. Right, anyone else? Yeah, just to echo Steve's uh, comments, is the religious community uh, actually stood up and uh, showed um, compassion and uh, help well, help beyond what you would ever think and everything like that. There was so many religious organizations that brought people, as Steve stated, out, out, out from the country, um, come in and help us and everything. And I think that was greatly appreciated. And just even other community members, everybody rolled up their sleeves and were helping people that they probably didn't know the time before and everything like that. I think your work with uh, community um, education that you've done, Mayor Doctors probably kind of helped with that. Um, so overall, just, 
brought a tear to my eye. It's just so great what they've done. Mm -hmm. to them. Yeah. Yes. And, and I know, say, go ahead, Diane. Oh, I was going to say, and then for all the um, businesses that came, you know, from in town as well as out of town, I know like Accenture and Dow head stations set up and all the things happening with mid Michigan. So um, kudos for them for, you know, just taking the time to come and help. So let me just say, I think that there was, um, there was a lot going on. Certainly we did receive a tremendous amount of help um, from individuals within inside the community and certainly from people across the country. I think we should especially recognize um, Midland United Way who is taking the lead on the, co the coordination of all of the volunteers and the supplies that have come into our community, not only during the crisis stage, but is going to be handling that as we continue to move forward because we're really in many ways just you know, beginning this whole, this whole effort. And also to 211 who was out there and created a and was responding to individuals um, who had calls and um, you know, where do we go? How do we, who do we connect with? Um, both of those organizations um, have done a, a tremendous job. And certainly everyone um, who was working at the command center and working through from the evacuations, you know, to where we are today. Um, we have, we truly do have a lot to be thankful for. So I think we're really, you know, we're very fortunate on that. Yeah. So are you ready to vote? So Erica, would you please uh, call the vote? Councilman Arnowski? Aye. Councilman Wazbinski? Aye. Councilman Hall? Aye. Mayor Donker? Aye. Councilman Brown Wilhelm? Aye. All right, that passes 5-0, thank you for that. And Erica, would you please read the proclamation? Whereas on May 19th, 2020, in the middle of a global pandemic, Midland County and its neighboring communities endured devastating floods and losses as the Sanford and Edenville dams failed within hours of each other. Whereas flood waters rose, 12,000 homes were safely evacuated without the loss of life or significant injury, thanks to first responders and our local emergency alert systems. And whereas flooding extended, Midland County emergency management teams worked around the clock providing coordination with police, fire, emergency response, 911 responders, and information specialists to keep residents safe and manage emergency needs. Whereas as the floodwaters receded, the need for relief and assistance for more than 2,500 homes and businesses damaged or destroyed by floodwaters became evident and our community members rose to the challenge. And whereas the United Way of Midland County stepped in to coordinate and support more than 2,200 volunteers, investing more than 16,000 volunteer hours in relief efforts. And whereas 16 agencies partnered with the United Way of Midland County to provide shelter and fill the needs of various relief efforts, including 211 West Midland Family Center, the Arnold Center, the Salvation Army, Senior Services, Greater Midland Community Center, Northern Midland Family Center, Coleman Family Center, the Public Schools of Coleman, Midland, Bullock Creek, and Meridian, Hidden Harvest, Midland Emergency Food Pantry Network, Midland County Educational Services Area, and Food Bank of Eastern Michigan. And whereas donated goods, services, meals, and funding poured in from small businesses, large corporations, and local foundations. 
whereas countless individuals, friends, neighbors, community members, and city departments stood shoulder to shoulder to remove flood debris, lift up their neighbors, and begin the process of rebuilding. Whereas the work is not yet over, but a pause to thank and recognize those who have stood with and supported our community through this unimaginable time is in order. Now, therefore, that we, the City Council, of Midland hereby express sincere gratitude and appreciation for the tremendous efforts put forth by frontline workers, individuals, businesses, and organizations providing incredible flood response in our community's time of need. Okay, thank you very much for that. Thanks, Steve, um, for the suggestion and thank you, Brad, for um, putting that together. All right, that takes us down to our public hearing this evening. We have two public hearings. The first one is um, item number three on your agenda, and that has to do with amending the city budget. And Mr. Keenan is going to tell us about that. Oops, is he muted? Dave, I think you're muted. I'm unmuted. Okay. All right. So in closing, I'd like to say, <laughs> all right. So can you all see the right screen? This was not a given before the meeting started. Yes. Are we yeah, good? good? Okay. Yeah, good. All right. So this is a traditional screen we put up when we're having a public hearing process. Um, so tonight, okay, there we go. So um, this will be like the second time we've done a major overhaul to the uh, current year budget and this one coming in just before the end of the year, um, as is necessary because of what's, what's happened uh, because of the, the flooding situation. So the, the general ledger uh, for the current year is gonna have about six weeks of flood costs, um, none of which was anticipated um, when we approved the budget or amended the budget back in uh, the end of April, beginning of May. So it would be my hope to avoid the uh, violating the Michigan General Appropriations Act, which uh, Treasury does not like to see governmental funds uh, that have expenditures in excess of budget. Uh, so for us to do that, we have to uh, amend the budgets to sort of bring them in line with what we're seeing and seeing in terms of the actual flood activity. And on the, um, the last council meeting on June 8th, uh, we set a public hearing for tonight to actually amend the budget. So we're talking about $3.4 million of um, actual costs that we anticipate at this point. Now I wanna say that these are not final numbers uh, for you to take to the bank. Um, actually, I would expect the numbers to probably go up a little bit, um, but based on what I knew at the time I was doing these projections where I thought they're going to land, I, I made a, the best estimate I could uh, to try to keep our, our budgets um, safe. Now you notice two different colors here. Uh, if it's kind of an orange, I guess I'll, I'll call it orange, um, that those costs relate to property damage. The blue costs actually relate to responding to the emergency. Um, so there's two different categories here. Uh, let's see, so we've got the equipment revolving fund at the top. Um, that's basically overtime spent to try to keep the equipment up to speed so they could keep up with the debris removal. Sanitary sewer fund, that's mostly going to be um, costs associated with the five pump stations that, that were taken over by, uh, by the, the, the rising waters. We do have some equipment rental though, some pump rental that we also uh, are included in there. 
That's $213,000. Curry Municipal Golf Course, uh, $450,000. Uh, two buildings are built to the 100-year floodplain. This is the first year, first year they've actually taken on water. The West Clubhouse uh, is a wood foundation, a wood floor. So uh, we don't know yet whether they're going to have to take up the floor of that building or whether we're going to be able to keep it because it was sitting in disgusting water for a, a very long time. So that could cause the costs to go up. Uh, Riverside Place, $889,000. <clears> I would expect those costs probably to be higher. Uh, but at this point, um, again, based on the estimates that I could get and the information I had, that's the number that I put out there. And again, these are what the intent here is to, to put the money in our budget. We're, we're classifying it to a project. Uh, we're putting it to specific accounts. So we'll know um, what gets spent, what doesn't get spent. And by the end of the year, what I, my intent would be is to encumber these costs into next year uh, to help pay for flood costs that we would incur um, going into the next fiscal year relating to this event so that it, it doesn't have an immediate impact on next year's budget. We've got the landfill, uh, $49,000 in costs. The library, $546,000. Uh, general fund contingencies, I don't have this colored either way because um, it was my hope to increase that. Uh, midway through the year, we kind of ratcheted back because we're on the home stretch of the fiscal year. So I thought it would be prudent to put some more costs in there, not only to deal with unforeseen flood issues, but also to deal with unforeseen COVID issues. Um, so again, whatever we don't spend there, my intent would be to roll that into next year so that we've got some pre-identified funds available to deal with this, this mess that we're in um, without hindering the, what we've set aside for next year's budget. The big number on here is sanitation. And this is really um, a lot of overtime equipment rental. Uh, we're going to have, uh, we paid a contractor, uh, we paid uh, Pat's great all. Uh, they worked right hand in hand with our folks with their trucks and we actually got through uh, the process quicker because of that um, but that's not going to come without costs uh, so about nine hundred thousand dollars is what we're estimating for that to be in public works around fifty thousand and then public safety just under a hundred thousand dollars so if you break those up into two different categories you've got the property damage right around 2.1 million You've got the contingency at 200,000, and then you've got the emergency response, um, which in essentially includes the, the public safety, um, the sanitation, uh, curbside pickup, public works, a lot of that kind of stuff. So you're, right now you're saying, well, that's great, Dave, but um, so how are we gonna pay for all this? Remind me again how we're gonna pay for this. And so here are the, here are the breakouts of the, the, the main sources of funding. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about this, each one as we go on. Uh, but we, we had some unbudgeted personal property tax money that came in. We budgeted 1.6 million, we took in 4 million. Uh, so we can take a portion of that, recognize it in the budget and use that to pay for some of these costs. Uh, as I went through and, and analyzed the budgets, parks and recreation, um, and I cannot tell you the exact breakdown by, by factor, but uh, because we've, we've closed many of the recreational programs for the year um, and we furloughed a lot of staff and we had staff there working on the flood charging their time elsewhere uh, we're actually going to have uh, some budget left over so what i'm essentially doing is taking that money that would have other otherwise been carryover to drop to the bottom line and i'm redesigning it um, assigning it to help pay for the flood remediation costs uh, we've got the gift to the library 
the Suan Shuttle Trust, of which uh, we're assigning 200,000 of that. The total was seven. Um, so we're taking 200 of that. We'd already appropriated 100,000 to pay for a full building generator. Uh, then we've got the property liability insurance fund. We've got about a million dollar fund balance. So we're taking 400,000 of that out to help pay for this uh, situation, leaving us about 600,000 um, and it will start rebuilding over time. Uh, but that's a, that I think is a, a safe amount um, to leave us in decent shape within that fund. And then we've got the, um, the actual flood insurance is gonna cover, it's a million dollar policy, uh, which was the most we could purchase up till now. But I will tell you effective July 1st, they've increased that limit to $2 million. So how much do you think I bought for next year? $2 million. Um, it was very affordable. And they would not let me retroactive back to 2017. I asked them about that and they, they didn't go for that. Um, so it's a million dollar policy with a $10,000 deductible. So that gets us the $990,000. Just kind of touching on each of the different sources. Um, as I mentioned, we took in over $4 million uh, personal property tax reimbursement. We had amended the budget to uh, recognize $1.6 million to help us pay for next year's budget without having to increase taxes. Uh, if we pull out a million, uh, million $1.4 million for, to pay for the flood, uh, increase the reserve contingency, that'll still leave us over a million dollars left of that funding. Parks and Recreation, which really is made up of eight different departments, I'm actually expecting a carryover of over half a million dollars, which is a lot. It's more than we typically have, but you know we do typically have carryover in a lot of these funds, which is why I'm able to offer that to you as part of the budget process uh, in lieu of increasing taxes for the next year. We pull out $400,000 to help pay for the flooding efforts that leaves us with 135,000 of hope, hopeful carryover coming out of Parks and Recreation. Now, I should mention that um, I'm not overly fearful of how this is going to lead the general fund for this year. Uh, what I'm actually worried about now is looking out a whole year when we're sitting in the council chambers in, in January talking about budget initiatives uh, because this it will dip into the carryover uh, that is typically available. So that could put pressure on coming up with a plan how to sustain our services without hiking up the millage rate in future years. So we'll, we'll talk about that later, but that, that will be the collateral impact of, of this at this point. Uh, the library, uh, I mentioned we'd actually received two different payments from this trust totaling $700,000. Uh, we had appropriated $100,000 for the generator. Um, we're putting $200,000 for the flood, leaving $400,000 in the library, which the library is a big building, a big operation, and there's a lot that, um, that they need in terms of equipment, things like that. So it's, it's actually very nice to have a chunk of money available to go to first to help satisfy those needs rather than always coming back to the, to the general fund. So the plan is to leave that there earmark for future capital needs. In the property liability insurance fund, we've got, um, we've got the insurance reimbursement of almost a million dollars. We've got the drawdown on the equity. Um, and by doing so, we'll leave approximately $600,000 in that fund um, moving forward. So the actual amendment itself, what it's going to look like is we're going to increase revenue in the general fund by $1,418,000. And we're going to increase expenditures by the same amount within these, de these departments that you see. Notice that I've got transferred to the, to the uh, insurance fund. So the way this is going to work is the general fund will basically pay for... Um, its own overages, then with extra money that it will have left over, it will give that money to the insurance fund. Then the insurance fund will then in turn uh, reimburse all the individual other funds 
um, using their own insurance proceeds and their own equity and the transfer from the general fund. In the library, we're gonna recognize uh, the $300,000 gift that we actually talked about at the last meeting. We're gonna put that in the budget, recognize the expenditures for the flood costs, um, the amount that's gonna be coming in from the insurance fund, and then we will increase the uh, fund balance reserve for capital replacement by $100,000. In the landfill, it's the simple flood expenses and then transfer from the insurance fund. Riverside, much the same, almost $900,000 of additional expenses plus funding coming from the insurance fund. The golf course, same story, 450,000 of flood expenditures, 450,000 coming from the insurance fund. And in the sewer fund, we're at 213,000 revenue expense. And in the equipment revolving fund, we're at 12,400 revenue and expense. Um, in the insurance fund itself, this is revenue from the insurance company coming in. It's the money. This is the money coming in from the general fund. And this is the drawdown of the fund balance to give us a million nine sixty available to distribute to the other funds other than the general fund who is, is paying for their own claim costs. Um, and then it's being distributed as you can see here. So that's really what I have for you, Madam Mayor. If you have any questions for me, um, I'll be happy to try to answer them. Um, this is a public hearing. So when we're done, you, you do have to do that. And then there will be a vote uh, at the conclusion with which the three-fifths vote is required. Okay, very good. Is there any questions for Mr. Keenan? Anyone have, for council? I have one question. So Dave, um, with the PPD reimbursement, um, you think the calculations are accurate, so we won't have to return any of it later? Well, we wouldn't have to return that. Okay. Um, so what could be in question for next year, uh, which and I'm still waiting to get a, I guess, a solid yes or no, because the formula at the state is to uh, to fund the, the, the personal pro property tax reimbursement with use tax. And because of what's happened to the economy, um, whether that's going to impact the ability to have as much money to um, return to the to the local units as they have in the past, uh, which is another reason why you know right now we're only anticipating the, the regular 100% plus 1.6 we got out of the total nine million. So we're we're in a pretty good position. Um, if they can't fund the whole thing next year, they have to pull back on it. But in terms of what they've also they've given us thus far, there there won't be any returning of that. Any other questions for Mr. Keenan? Yeah, Dave, I've got a question. Um, yes, we're about a month past the flood now, and you yes. mentioned that we haven't seen all the expenses yet. Which categories do you think will continue to see expenses, and how do you deal with those that are incurred, you know, say today, for example, when we're almost to the end of the fiscal year, and maybe the bill comes in next year? How do you reconcile all that? So the bill, when it comes in, would actually it's not the deciding factor, it's when the actual service was provided. So if, um, so there's there's some things that are outstanding. For example, we are in the, we're in the process of setting ourselves up to accept bids to restore the library. You know, those are gonna be big costs uh, when we bring the contact tractors in and that stuff won't hit till next year. So I put I put quite a bit of funding in the budget amendment that that's before you all for that, but that work won't happen until next year. So um, what's going to happen is I'll encumber the money from this year that wasn't spent into next year. So I have it available to pay for those. 
and those are I think those are the primary costs that you're going to see is the uh, the replacing or the, the, the restoration of property damage that we incurred through the flood. Because I think Karen's team, uh, public works team is gonna be pretty much done um, this week, I think with what they're doing in terms of the, the heavy item pickup related to the flood. And I think we have one more invoice from Pat's grade all coming in. Um, but other than that, you know, the whole response effort is sort of done now and we're moving on to the next phase. Okay, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Any other questions from council? Okay, thank you. Then seeing none, this oh, is a public- Sorry, Ms. Mayor. Okay. Go ahead. I forgot I was on mute again. The, um, for Riverside. Yes. That including anything to do with the roof at all? No, not included in there. All right. And then also on the, uh, for sanitation, are we looking, I know we had a, a a bunch of sanitation stuff that came out to us and everything. Where are we sitting for the cell to be closed up or starting a new one? Have we so taken consideration for that for funding? You're at the landfill. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're right. Um, so that is going to it's going to shorten the life of that cell uh, that we have. But that that property is good for like sixty some odd years. Um, but 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 you, yes, you're absolutely correct. We filled it. We didn't fill it, but we put a lot of material in there. We didn't take any revenue for that. And that was that was a decision we made because we didn't want to capitalize on everybody's hardships, quite frankly. Um, so if, if you're interested in that, that's something that I could get from the, the landfill um, and you know somehow get the information back to you guys because it, it will reduce the life. I don't know if it's a, like a month's worth or two months worth or three months worth, um, but, it, but it is going to cause us to probably start developing the next cell sooner than we would have otherwise just because of the sheer volume of stuff that we brought in right my only concern was i know we kind of pre-fund that and yeah. uh, i didn't know if that was going to push it up enough or we have to kind of consider putting some money aside for it a little earlier than normal. um so we yeah so we right now we're just getting started in developing the next cell and we have pre-funded that that's all in the budget so it will take it'll take a while uh, for us to then fill that up because every time you go out, you could also backfill on top of the previous cell. So we have quite a bit of time before we have to worry about uh, the, the next cell development beyond what we've already programmed. Okay, great, thanks. Oh, you're welcome. I can actually just add very briefly to that as well. So we actually already estimated about four to six months of lost capacity in the cells based upon all the material that went into it. And uh, David already indicated we're already in the next cell development. So we're in good shape at this point in time. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, any other questions from council? All right, seeing none, this is a public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there anyone from who is watching here this evening? Online, have a comment? Hello, this is Mary and Jim Elmore. Hello. Okay, Mary, I need yes. you to state your name, which you already did, and your address, please. 3101 Camberley Lane. Okay, thank you. And my husband Jim's here too. Okay. Hello. Mary, just this is only about the uh, the budget amendment, so. Oh, okay, okay. Then I'm gonna mute myself again. <laughs> okay, very good. Thank you. 
Anyone else? Okay, then seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. And Erica, would you please read the resolution? This resolution amends the 2019-2020 budgets and financial working plans of certain city funds to include the emergency response and remediation and restoration needs from the 2020 dam failures and additional considerations of the COVID-19 situation. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, so moved by Pam Hall. Second, Diane Brown. Wilhelm. Okay, we have first and second. Any discussion on this? Just a comment to thank Dave and appreciation to his staff for many, I know there's probably many sleepless night going over all this stuff and um, just compiling this all to make it look nice and neat and tidy for us. Thank, thank you, I appreciate that. I will let them know. All right, great. All right, then ready to vote. All right, Erica, would you please call the vote? Councilman Wazbinski. Aye. Councilman Hall. Aye. Council Mayor Donker? Aye. Councilman Brown Wilhelm? Aye. Councilman Arnoski? Aye. All right, thank you. That passes 5 0. All right, that takes us to item number four, which is also a public hearing, and that has to do with the downtown um, economic redevelopment, um, the special assessment for downtown. And Kayla Ripley is here to tell us about that. Kayla? Hello. Um, let me get the screen up here. Okay. Is that working for everyone? Yes. Okay. All right. So this is the last process or last step in the process to set up the Sarah public hearing. Um, this is the same slide that Dave had for the virtual public hearing process. We'll start with my presentations, go into council questions, and end with the public, public hearing itself. So, so this is for the Sarah Special Assessment. Sarah stands for the Shopping Area Redevelopment Act. And just to sum up what Selena said last meeting on June 8th, um, the Sarah Special Assessment is a $90,000 two-year special assessment, which is then divided per year into 45,000. The revenue is used for downtown events, the holiday decorations, different promotions, and the staffing levels that they use for downtown, um, the DDA. So I wanted to get more into the calculation of how we determine the special assessments for each property within the Sarah, Sarah districts. So it's kind of a flow how I do my process to get to the values. So we need to identify the properties within zone one or two. We look at the actual front foot measurements, determine their current use, calculate the front, the equivalent front foot value. And then we calculate the effective front foot and then we calculate the special assessment amount. So we'll go through this process with an example. So Sarah, Zone one is within one block of Main Street. Zone two comes out into this area to the first one way and then down into the Tridge area. So, it, whoops, go back here. 
So we use these factors. Zone one and two have the same factors for the non-commercial research, financial, financial institutions, and then hotels. And then they have different factors for retailers, restaurants, and services. Zone one being a little bit or being higher than zone two since they are right there on Main Street. So I used Basil Thai Bistro as an example. So I determined, and this is the process I go through with every property within zone one and two. So I determined that Basil Thai was in zone two. It is a restaurant and the factor for restaurants in zone two is 0.25. So I have the actual front foot measurement of 120 linear feet. We multiply that by the factor of 0.25 and we have an effective front foot value of 30. So in all, in zone one and two, there are 70 properties. With the 70 properties, there's a total of 2,507 linear feet. So I take the 90,000 total special assessment and divide it by the effective front foot value of 2,507. And that gives us an effective front foot rate of $35.90. So back, back to the basal tie um, example, we already determined the effective front foot of 30. So we take that and we multiply it by the effective front foot rate. And then we determine the two-year special assessment total. So the $1,077 is then split in half. And the first part of that assessment will be billed on July 1st this year. And the second will be billed on July 1st next year. So all the property owners have been notified of the tentative special assessment amounts. Tonight we need a three-fifth vote required by city council to continue with the special assessment of 90,000 for Sarah 2020. All right, does anyone from council have a question for Kaylee? Kaylee, I, I have one. And so when you say the front foot, does that mean just the front of the building? So if you're, if you're located on a corner where you would have, you know, street frontage of, you know, front and probably a side, would you just sure, be assessed sure. for the, the front of the, the smallest, building? The smallest length. Oh, okay. So let's say, um, let's for example, Pizza Sam's. So we would take their linear frontage on Main Street versus Ashman. Okay, thank you. Okay, any other questions? All right, seeing none, this is a public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there anyone that wants to speak on behalf? of this? All right, anyone opposed? Okay, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. And Erica, would you please read the resolution? This resolution approves the special assessment role for the 2020 Downtown Economic Revitalization Public Improvement Special Assessment District as prepared by the city assessor. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Pam Hall. Second, Pam Hall. Okay, so we had Diane Brown Wilhelm yes. and Pam Hall. All right, any discussion? 
Okay, then seeing none, all in favor, please say aye. Oh, Erica. Oh, sorry, roll. Councilman Hall? Aye. Mayor Donker? Aye. Councilman Brown Wilhelm? Aye. Councilman Arnoski? Aye. Councilman Wazbinski? Aye. All right. That passes 5 0. Thank you, everyone. Okay, that takes us down to public comment. This is an opportunity for people to address council on issues relevant to council business, but not on the agenda. Is there anyone that has a public comment this evening? If so, I need you to unmute yourself. Mary, this might be your opportunity. Oh, Mary and Jim Elmore again, 3101 Camberley Lane. Okay. Uh, we're curious about FEMA. Have you heard anything about FEMA? Okay. I think we can answer that question. Mr. K, do you want to answer that or would you? I can definitely help out a little bit. FEMA, right. um, at this point in time, the damage assessments, which were necessary by both the city and the county and were collectively pooled together, were submitted to the state of Michigan. Uh, that was the first step in moving towards a FEMA declaration or disaster declaration. That work has been reviewed by the state and the governor, Governor Whitmer, has referenced all of that onto FEMA and to the federal government, asking President Trump for a major disaster declaration. At this point in time, FEMA and the federal government are reviewing all of that information. Once they have done that, they will then uh, make a decision as to either yes to issue a major de disaster declaration, which we certainly hope for, or con conceivably they could say no. Um, we believe we met the thresholds, but nonetheless, it's under review with FEMA at this point in time. Once that is done, once the review is complete, once the disaster declaration is complete, at that point is when individuals uh, would reach out and file specific claims with FEMA for uh, potentially reimbursement from them. Gotcha. So, so and, and this is Jim Elmore, 3101 Camberley Lane. Um, I have a question about Sturgeon Creek and granted this was, this flooding was due to uh, a breach of a dam, uh, but it just seems that Sturgeon Creek has been rising, you know, hitting its you know peak levels more often, whether it's due to weather or, you know, lack of maintaining drains. I mean, it just seems to be happening more and more. Is there going to be anyone looking at, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers looking at possibly doing something with uh, Sturgeon Creek and preventing it from filling up so quick anymore? Or, uh, you know, and plus we've got all the construction that's north of town now that gives more runoff going into the creek. So, I mean, is there going to be catch basins, you know, a possible catch basin to catch that and then slowly release it into the creek? Or, you know, do you know of any of this being looked at? Okay, so let me just ask, are there any, um, are there any other parts to the question? So I could like, we could try and capture all of your questions that you, you may have some of them. If they're quick, we can answer them tonight. Um, which we try to do, but in public comment, it's really an opportunity for con for for comment. So I just want to make sure we hear all of your questions. Okay. Well, uh, the main question would be, I guess, is Sturgeon, Sturgeon Creek. Creek being looked at as mm -hmm. you know for uh, a better way of flowing the the water away? Okay. You know, the day the day before the flood happened. 
we were going down Valerie and Gibson, Gibson and St. Mary's. And there was so much water over that road already. And one of the roads was closed off. And we thought, this is unreal. This was way before the dams broke or warnings or anything happened. So there's, there's, there's terrible water issues over there on Sturgeon Creek. And, you know, this area behind us over on Valerie and St. Mary's and Gibson has just been devastated. devastated. Our neighbor behind us will be leaving her home. She's 86 years old. She's paid taxes over there for 57 years and she's left her home and she most likely will have her home torn down. And that just, it breaks our heart. It, it's, it's very upsetting. And we're just so afraid for our neighbors. See, now I'm going to yeah. cry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Our, yeah. It's just, it's just this area has seen so much flooding. I mean, year, years, you know, granted, 100-year flood, okay, one chance in, in you know, a 1% chance in 100 years that area is going to get flooded. Um, then we get it again in 17, lack of cleaning of the drains, basically. Um, and then we get it, this is man-made, dams break, 500-year flood, you know, uh, you know, 0.05% ch chance of it ever happening again. Um, it, it, something's got to be done, I mean, within the city to actually look at the control of runoff water within the city, not just from Wixom Lake and not just from Sanford Lake, but what's going on in the city. And talking with other people in the area, that have lived here, raised their families, the 86-year-old lady. She said this is her third big flood she's gone through. She can't go through another one. Um, we're afraid about for you know, this area just eventually going away at some point because, you know, it just seems like it doesn't stop. You know, granted, it goes for years, but it's just a continuous flood area. So, you know, and, and another fear is, if FEMA doesn't, you know, Jim and I have been very fortunate. He's able to fix things. We didn't, we had six and a half feet of water in our basement. And, you know, we had wonderful family and friends that chipped in. And I mean, it was unreal to watch this neighborhood work together, work together, come together. Okay. But then one street beyond, it's just total devastation over there. And I just don't know what's going to happen if FEMA doesn't come in here. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to these people. See, and that's the fear, too, is FEMA's not even going to help. So, um, you know, our insurance, that, that's that been an absolute atrocious nightmare. You know, the, the insurance deal, again, that should be taken up with the state, not with the city. But Right. Um, it's pretty pathetic. You hear stories that people are walking away from their homes because this is the second time in three years that they get flooded and the insurance company's not going to cover them. So, I mean, there's got to be some sort of reform. Uh, if you're not in a 100-year flood zone, we've heard that you're not eligible for insurance. I was told that by our insurance company. Well, you're not in a 100-year flood zone. You don't need it. Or we can't sell it to you. If you want it, you go to FEMA. Well, you know, FEMA's a joke, really. I mean, I'm glad they're there to help some things, but they're not there to make you whole. They're only there to kind of help alleviate some things. You know, $1,000 for a house totally gone. I mean, that's 
you can't count on FEMA. You know, it, it might help with the loss of a furnace and a water heater. Okay, I get that, but not for a total loss of a home that's that your insurance company tells you, sorry, you know, you're you're out of luck. You know, and we know people that they're going to be walking away from their houses over on Sturgeon Creek Parkway, over here on Valerie, diff different places. And, you know, that's going to be a lot of tax revenue for the city of Midland. And we worry about that. We worry about how these how she's going to walk away from her home at 86 years old and be able to go to Riverside or go to Washington Woods or wherever she's going to move and and be okay. You know, we're going to look out back of our house, which is lovely. And one of these days, there's not going to be a house back there. And we just, we're concerned about that. We're concerned about, you know, water. We're worried about that Sturgeon Creek. You know, that, that is a, that, that's, uh, it's a problem waiting to happen that, all the time. The, the line going under Saginaw road just is too small for the amount of water that comes through that. And that really should be looked at because I work for a utility, I go over that, I'm over it a lot when it rains, and that is just to the, it's like a, a bottlenecks right there. Granted, it might allow too much water to get to Titawasee, but it's gotta get out of there. It's being held up right there. So, um, you know, and the other thing I'd like to know is, is does Midland have a, have a catastrophic fund that the taxpayers, the, any mills that go into that or a disaster fund? to help with, you know, some of these issues that we have with flooding in the city of Midland, because I've heard Bay City has a, has a catastrophic fund that it, whether they use it to help the citizens or, or their own um, revenue or their own within the city of their, you know, for mm -hmm. themselves. But is, is there something that can be set up through the city? You know, that, you know, half a mil or, you know, 0.25 mil could go into that and put on a ballot and vote for, or, you know, because I'm sure that as strong as Midland is, I'm sure there's people that would vote to help, you know, that way, you know, and, and over the years that would, you know, that would build up, that would build up. I mean, every 15, 20, 30 years, you know, we have a major flood event lately since 86. So you know, I don't know if that's a possibility, but anyway, I mean, I know we're carrying on, so just food for thought. Food. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We thank you um, for taking the time to be with us tonight and for those comments. Uh, um, I don't know if there's anything that Mr. K can quickly maybe, um, you know, provide some light on, but we'd be happy to, to respond to, you know, to all of these um, for you at, at, you know, at a later date after tonight's meeting but brad is there anything that you can you know touch on besides fema right there, there was certainly a lot to unpack in all of that uh, we, we obviously answered the question as Sorry. far as fema and the concern always with fema is that they are not intended and not designed or set up to make people whole and, and people um unfortunately that, that's the situation even should we get the major disaster declaration that i mentioned before um, with regards to, is there anything being done? Is the city working on anything? Is council at least as well aware? We've been looking at the systems. Um, nothing, even if we had implemented all $111 million of the improvements uh, that were in the initial report that we received about a year and a half ago, I think it is now, nothing of that would have uh, prevented the flooding that we saw 
um, particularly in this event. What, what we have is a tough situation in terms of that creek, Sturgeon Creek specifically, flows into the Titibawassee, and when the Titibawassee River itself floods, there's nowhere for that water to flood to or flow to. And that is often the cause of the flooding and the backing up of the creeks themselves. So are we looking at it? Yes. Um, do we have a solution specifically identified at this point in time? No. Um, but again, keeping in mind that the designs that we would typically move a system towards would not have prevented um, the, the level of flooding and certainly the catastrophe of the event um, about a month ago. Right. I have and then the, la the last thing, if, uh, if I might just respond finally to the catastrophic fund, the answer is no, the city does not have that at this okay. point. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, my mind works like a steel trap, but anyway, um, a backflow gate from the Sturgeon Creek at the, where it, Sturgeon Creek goes into the Titabawassee River and have a step backflow gate. So depending on the level of, uh, uh, Titabawassee levels would you could close gates to prevent it from backflowing into the Sturgeon Creek. So you could do a backflow gate. So that's a possibility. Now again, it's cost, but still, I mean, there are ways to prevent that where the, the river will, you know, you'd have to build a wall and then also, you know, it'd be like a, a reverse dam is what it would be. And there's just, yeah. But anyway, well, we, we, all know how we, we all know how we feel about dams right now. <laughs> anyway, and I wanted to say thank you to Steve Arnosky for filling me in about when this was coming on tonight and keep us keeping us in the loop. Thanks, Steve. All right, great. Thank you for being here. Is there any other public comment this evening? Hi, I'd like to make a comment. All right, I need your name and address, please. Amanda Van Hoy, 28, okay. oh, 2811 St. Mary's. Okay. And um, probably a lot of it echoes um, what the um, gentleman and gentlewoman uh, just spoke about um, from Camberley. Um, this is, we've only lived on St. Mary's Drive since November. We lived in another part of town, um, you know, so we've been in Midland since 2003. Uh, I had, uh, we're not in the 100 year floodplain where our home is, um, but the Sturgeon Creek definitely is a major concern for us. Um, you know, again, mentioning, you know, I what they had mentioned about how it's drainages or, you know, even some of the source if it's coming from north of town, um, even if it's coming from, you know, outside of Midland, if there was a way to, for them to have a different source or place for their water to go with it if at all possible. Uh, but my big concern is really our sanitary sewer system. Um, you know, in 2017, people had backups in other parts of town um, and this part of town as well. Um, but just the way the system, I know, you know, this, you have two lakes coming at your town, that there's not much you can do there. But with the way the water tables are and everything and the way that the sewer system is, I worry this could happen again to anybody. And, you know, it's at to taxpayers expense, but it's also, you know, you, we pay for it in our taxes, but also we paid for it in tens of thousands of dollars of damage to our own homes this time, you know, and I just, I really, you know, trying to financially recover or just to, you know, repair the damages this time. Um, my concern is if it happens again, um, 
I know people who are just recovering from 2017 um, and this being another huge hit to them that they're not going to be able to recover from this. And so I have a lot of concerns um, up and down my street on St. Mary's Drive. I'm watching some of my new neighbors who I've gotten to know and who have just been so wonderful have to walk away from their homes, which again is a hit tax-wise to our city um, and just also um, just wonderful people that to have the tragedy like this happen to them, it's tough to see. Um, so I just, you know, I don't know what else can be done about the sanitary sewer system. I know there probably could be a lot done, but that's an area I really as a citizen want to see um, taken care of as we move forward. All right. And thank you very thanks. much. And a quick thanks to Steve, too, for all the great communication he has shared. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Anyone else? Hello. Hello. My name is John Musty. I'm at uh, 4900 Oak Ridge Drive, and I'd like to also speak about the uh, sanitary sewer situation. Um, we've lived here since uh, 1984. We had no sanitary backup in 86. We did have uh, a couple of inches uh, in 2017, and uh, we had 22 inches this time. Uh, I realize uh, I'm not alone. There's, there's a lot of people that have experienced uh, backups and uh, uh, probably uh, much worse even than what we've had. Uh, obviously, uh, from uh, Mr. Keenan's presentation, this represents a, a substantial loss uh, to the city, but uh, as the uh, previous inputter indicated, uh, the costs of uh, replacement of all it cost over a million dollars just to haul it to the landfill. Uh, think of all the replacement costs that people have for all that stuff that was hauled, had to be hauled to the landfill uh, and damages to uh, uh, their uh, dwelling and so forth. Um, so, and, and then there's items, memorabilia that's irreplaceable at any cost. And this happens every time you have uh, a backup like this. You know, we, we had planned, in fact, I had done some things to uh, deal with another uh, one or two inch backup, but, and we elevated things uh, before this happened, but we never envisioned a 22 inch. Uh, so we lost a lot more stuff this time. Um, so, and, and, you know, if you could turn the clock back on this, uh, with all the financial loss to the residents as well as the city, it would have been far more uh, economically feasible to elevate those pump stations to where they would keep working. I realize nobody would envision a double dam failure, but certainly now that this has happened, I think we need to revisit the study and we need to think about what we, sh what we can do over and above maybe what we've, uh, well, at least to uh, put in place something uh, that would deal with what we have experienced here. And I think we need to do it with a sense of urgency. I did, I haven't seen that sense of urgency. You know, I, I don't, I haven't, I think elevating some of these pump stations uh, and doing something with them was in this study for after 2017, but I don't think anything was done in that regard yet. Maybe it was planned for the future, but I think we need to move forward that with a sense of urgency, given what we have seen and all the loss that uh, we have seen here. So uh, uh, that's my input, and I hope uh, hope to see that follow through. I, I haven't heard, you know, I read the papers on this, I, I look at emails, I haven't heard anything yet 
uh, about what we are going to do about the sanitary sewer backups, even if it's a plan to do something in the future. I'd like to see something concrete that is planned for the future to do something here with the sanitary sewer. So I appreciate the opportunity to make some comments. Thank you very much, Mr. Musty. Is there anyone else this evening? Hello, uh, my name is John Hill. I reside at 4224 Partridge Lane, Midland, Michigan. Okay, great, thank you. And I am uh, concerned that uh, we as a community are not providing equity to all citizens in the community, meaning that in some areas, services are not disrupted due to flooding, and in other areas, services are disrupted due to flooding. And that is unfortunately not very equitable to everyone in the community. Um, it's concerning to me that um, there isn't a broader plan to address stormwater uh, in the county and in the city. Typically buildings and new developments are only designed to meet the code minimums. In an area where there's such risk of flooding, perhaps we should not design to the code minimum. Okay. Anything else, Mr. Hill? Uh, both sanitary sewer and storm sewer are a concern for me because uh, in my neighborhood, both are uh, don't do anything during a flood event. Both are overwhelmed. All right, I thank you for, for joining us this evening. Anyone else? Okay, I see no other comments. So I want to thank all of you for uh, sharing your thoughts with us th this evening. And, you know, um, as we, we certainly as a council, you know, know that this is, uh, um, you know, that we, we've just been devastated as a community. And we have a, a lot that, uh, you know, we need to take a look at as we, you know, plan to move how we can move forward. And I'm sure you'll be hearing more about this in the future. Okay, moving on. That takes us down to item number five, which is the second reading and adoption of the um, City of Midland Water and Sewer Ordinances. And Mr. Schwartz is here with us this evening. There will be one presentation on this this evening, and but we'll have two separate votes. Good evening, Mayor and members of Council. I'll be sharing my screen. Okay. Um, yes, this will be the uh, presentation of the 2021 water and sewer rates. This is the second reading and adoption. 
each year we review of the water rates. We look at operating costs, system capacity improvements, and our working capital balances um, and adjust rates as needed. Uh, this will only be an, a request to amend the ordinance for water and sewer rates. We have no other ordinance amendments. Um, for this year, we're looking at a 4% increase for water and a 2.5% increase for sewer rates. This is in line with what we've had in the past. We have requested funds also for a rate study. Um, so we will be looking at that this year. So we'll be getting some new adjustments for next year. Uh, to give you an idea what a 4% increase looks like for the water bill, a typical usage would be a three quarter inch meter, 15,000 gallons and a quarter. They would be looking at a $2.50 increase, it's 4%. Um, but amongst the readiness to serve charge, the meter charge, and the usage or commodity. For a one inch meter, uh, they would be looking at a $3.31 increase uh, for an average bill uh, using 20,000 gallons of water. Uh, for the water rate um, ordinance, the changes would be for the fixed meter costs that ranges from $38 up to 1000 um, with the usage per thousand gallons going from one sixty-seven to a dollar seventy-eight. For the sewer rates, it's we're looking at a two and a half percent increase for the quarterly bill. For a three-quarter inch meter, that would be two dollars and fourteen cents on average, and for a one-inch meter, two dollars and eighty-nine cents on average. Uh, for with it meter changes of up to $51 to up to $1,400 and a usage per thousand gallons from $2.48 to $2.55. Uh, to see what that looks like for an actual bill for the combined water and sewer, you're looking at a $4.69 increase or 3.1% typical um, for a three quarter inch or a $6.20 increase um, for a one inch meter. Uh, you can see here uh, how we compare to neighboring systems. The uh, For the three-quarter inch meter, we're looking at around $150 for a quarterly bill. Um, Saginaw is closer to $260 and Bay City is closer to $400. Uh, for a one-inch meter, again, Midlands current and proposed are much lower than neighboring systems. This is the second reading and proposed adoption of the 2021 water and sewer rate ordinance amendment. It requires a three-fifths vote to approve. And if approved, uh, the rates will take effect on July 1st. I'd be All happy right. to take any questions. Any questions for Mr. Schwartz? Yeah, Peter, uh, you know, we've obviously been talking about the flood and sewage and such. Um, how is this money that you're that could be levied here going to be, how is it used? It's really, I mean, covering operating costs as well as capital. Um, we have uh, aging infrastructure. We have increased um, regulatory needs. You certainly have heard about the, the concerns on the sanitary sewer side. Uh, so it's really, this is the, all of this is being used for all of those purposes. 
Um, it's all used internally. Um, labor costs, we've added a couple of positions to the water department. Um, so it's covering labor. So it includes all the sanitary sewer pipelines as well as the, uh, the treatment plant as well? Yes, it's the entire systems. So it's the, the funds, water and wastewater funds. Okay. All right, any other questions? Okay, then seeing no more questions, any comments from the public on this? Okay, seeing none, then, hold on, I've lost my little plate. Okay, so um, as it relates to item number 5A, would you please read that resolution, Erica? This is the second reading and adoption of a proposed amendment to section 2852 of division three of article two of chapter 28 of the code of ordinances. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved, so moved. Steve. Okay. Second. Okay. So Steve and Diane, um, any discussion on that? All right, seeing none, then all in favor, please say aye. I'll have to do a roll call. Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. Great roll call. Mayor Donker? Aye. Councilman Brown Wilhelm? Aye. Councilman Arnosky? Aye. Councilman Wazbinski? Aye. Councilman Hall? Aye. All right. That passes. The water ordinance sec um, passes 5-0. Um, so, Erica, would you please read resolution um, 5B? This is the wastewater one. It is the second reading and adoption of a proposed amendment to section 28-163 of division three of article three of chapter 28 of the code of ordinances. All right, can we have a motion to accept that resolution? So moved. Second. second. Okay, so we had a motion by Mr. Onoski, second by Mr. Wasbinski. All right, any discussion on this? All right, seeing none. So Erica, would a uh, roll call vote, please? Councilman right, Brown Wilhelm? Aye. Councilman Arnoski? Aye. Councilman Wazbinski? Aye. Councilman Hall? Aye. Mayor Donker? Aye. All right, that passes 5-0. Thank you very much. Okay, that takes us down to new business. And Mr. Branson, did you have an item of new business this evening? I, I did, Madam Mayor. Uh, very, very briefly, uh, an action occurred at our last council meeting, which was on June 8th during our Zoom open session council meeting. It could be perceived as an open meetings act issue. The new Zoom meeting format and process can be very challenging for all of us at times, but uh, to end that issue, uh, at that meeting, Councilman Arnosky wanted to share a hard copy of his talking points and notes with council and did so by sending an email to the city council members and referenced that email during his meeting. It was his talking points and his presentation. And to ensure full transparency as based on the fact we've had an inquiry too regarding that statement, we are going to simply attach those notes that were sent to council on June 8th to the minutes tonight to clear up that issue that has been inquired into. So simply just informative more than anything, but those minutes will, those notes will be attached to these minutes. Okay. And that's all Great. I have. All right, thank you for that. Thank Any you. other new business? Um, 
you know, I, I, in light of in light of some of the, can I comment real quickly? In, in light of you know the comments again we've received this evening, I do think we need to probably set an agenda item on the, uh, you know, the sewage issue uh, to, to address the, some of the, the concerns about sewage backup. I think it's going to continue to come up until we address something. Um, so I, I'd request that at some point in time, in the very near future, we we make that a formal agenda item. So, Steve, can I just can I for a point of clarification? So, are you asking for just an opportunity to to hear from the public on that, or what? Are you I, I know. I, I think no. It would be something for the council to revisit the the action plans that we have in place to address sewage backup in the city, and take further and, and direct the city, the city management, the city staff to take additional actions uh, following that uh, discussion. All right. Okay. And just to add to that, um, is there any uh, chance of building dikes or flood control walls along the Sturgeon Creek? Um, to, I know that has already passed, but I'm just saying um, that's a comment that came in after public discussion was closed. So perhaps that could also be addressed when we're looking at the water situations. Okay. So we'll add that to that. Then, okay. All right. Thank you for that. Any other new business? So, Madam Mayor, is there a timeline that the council is looking for that report to come back? Well, you know, Brad, uh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of chiming in instead of the Mayor Donker, but uh, that's fine. you know, we had, we had this red zone report also that was supposed to have come forward you know, but then we hit COVID and the flood. And so um, you know, I'm not sure what the timing of that is, Brad, but I would I would expect that maybe having it occur concurrently would be uh, appropriate timing because that's obviously an integral part of, of what we're going to be talking about. Actually, that was going to be my suggestion. So uh, I think we're on the same page there. All right. So it may take a little while, but I'm, I'm you know, we have it out there. We'll make sure that it gets on an agenda soon, you know, not too far out that we'll start to address that soon. Right. Right. So, so Madam Mayor, if everyone else is done, we do need to discuss the format um, of our next meetings coming up. As, as you all know, we still have a number of restrictions in place relative to COVID-19 and how we go about meetings and how many people we are allowed to have in any given meeting. And the governor has provided the option for us to continue forward with virtual meetings now until the end of July is when that order actually lasts and extends until uh, our concern is if we open up uh, back to physical in, in person meetings here at City Hall that our council chambers is poorly set up for the social distancing that we would need to uh, require and that would include not only yourselves sitting on council, but certainly staff and equally importantly the public that would come in and to try to meet all of the standards and then enforce the standards that we would need for a public uh, congregation of people would be difficult. And as such, we would uh, ask for consideration to continue extending under this format, at least until the end of July. But that would be uh, your decision on council as to which direction you do lead. Yeah, I actually saw that when it came through the other day and I support it. I don't know how everybody else feels. I support it as well, Brad. I don't feel strongly one way or the other at this point. 
Yeah, that, yeah, I'm about the same way too. I mean, it would be nice to see people face to face, but I understand the restrictions and everything of how many people we can have in a room. And um, for at least the next meeting, I'd say for sure do the Zoom. And if we want to say for the rest of the month of July, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, I you know I agree that you know I'm fine going through um, July with this. I think that I would rather see us stay in this than change it and then have to go back to this right away. You know, so I'm hoping that, you know, maybe we'll have some more direction that, um, you know, will help us address all of the issues that we would like to address because I too um, like it when we have uh, um, an opportunity to be face-to-face -face with, with folks. You know, and I, going forward, I wonder if it's possible to even have it as an alternative location, you know, if we do something even at, like an auditorium, like a center for the arts or someplace like that. You know where people can sit and, and have a little more distance i mean we could also spread ourselves out a little bit more on the stage as well something just to think about we'll challenge our mctb staff but yeah we could always look at something like that okay okay anything else just all right brad i think that answers the question that we're okay with that i, I think so so um, okay. unless something changes drastically we'll just continue those through july and then um, hopefully come August and our meetings in August, we'll be back together. Great. Anything else? All right, then seeing nothing else, thank you to those of us who joined it, those of you who joined us this evening and our meeting is now adjourned. So thank you. And we'll see you uh, on July 13th, I think. Yeah, July 13th is our next meeting. All right. This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland.